People have so many different hacks for getting a good night's sleep. And it's not to say that those don't work, but I really think you cannot discount the power of just good quality sheets and how much that can transform your sleep. I told you guys about these before, but as far as I'm concerned, Bowl and Branch are the best sheets on the market. And I think for me, the thing that like makes them so good is that they're really soft and luxurious while also being breathable. So they kind of work in all weather and their signature sheets are their best seller. They come in 14 versatile colors in all sizes from twin up to California King. I have them in the color stone. I have them in the color mineral. I have the waffle blanket. I have so many things from this company. Everything is just quality and their sheets are made with the finest hundred percent organic cotton and completely free from toxins. Also, they said this, but I didn't really get it until I started using the sheets. They do get softer with every wash and you'll see that. I've gotten these as gifts for so many people and every single person has been a repeat customer. And there's a 30 night worry-free guarantee. So you can wash style and sleep in their sheets for an entire month. And if you don't love them, you can send them right back. Sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bolin Branch. Get 15% off your order when you use promo code CBC at BolinBranch.com. That's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code CBC. Exclusions apply, see site for details. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome back to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, Iz. Hi, Em. I feel like Southern Charm is back. That episode tonight kind of felt like OG Southern Charm energy. It was so good. There was like 30 plot lines in one and the episode just kept going. Like I was eating up every second of it. And honestly, I usually take so many detailed notes, but I was just enamored by everything they were all saying. We were to Frank Lloyd Wright house. What more could you ask for? I know the backdrop to it all really elevated the viewing experience because I think I texted you in the middle. Maybe it was Taylor or Olivia that was like, wow, Frank Lloyd Wright was not thinking about a makeup table. (laughs) It was Naomi. She's like juggling all her makeup. That was funny. There's a lot of quotes in this episode and that's when you know it was like a really, really strong hour that we watched. I'm glad that we put this on the outline because I would like to start with this just so that we are all on the same page because this is something we Googled after the episode, which made us think that maybe some of you did as well. We want to do a quick rundown of ages. Okay. Whitney is 54 years old. Shep is 42 years old. Austin is 35 years old. Craig is 33. And Naomi is 30. I don't know why, but that information just feels relevant to this evening. I agree because I was feeling like they were all sort of talking about where they are in their lives. And also when you really get down to it, like those are pretty big age gaps or just different stages of life, I feel like. So I don't know when they're getting into the dynamics of where they're at currently or what their friendships used to be like when they were all sort of just like frat brothers on the same page. It kind of puts things in like in different perspective. I mean, also to think that Whitney is 20 years older than Craig. It's worth noting is all I'm going to say. It's definitely worth noting. Also worth noting is that Whitney is a co-creator and executive producer of Southern Charm, which I definitely think is something that we should all acknowledge before going into this episode. It's all just something to note. If you are an excessive Googler like I am, I am during every single movie and every single TV show, the one whose phone light is on because I'm Googling and I'm on IMDb and I'm checking things. I feel like that's the kind of stuff you want to know. I mean, in Whitney's defense, he has done a good job throughout all of the seasons actually not only showing himself in a good light and actually being honest to, I think, the stories and the narratives that really do go down with him, even if they aren't like the best look for him. So I don't know how much that sways it, but it is something that I constantly forget and I 
just want to have that reminder sometimes. And this episode was very Whitney heavy. So I think it's really important. It was strangely Whitney heavy. Yes. I mean, <laughs> okay. There's, there's so many things here. I kind of want to just get into the Naomi and Whitney element first, because when Leva's over her house and they're on the phone with Austin, when Naomi dropped that bomb, I felt like I was in that room because it almost brought me back to when you're in college and you're recapping the night out with your friends and it's like, holy shit, I hooked up with that guy. And you're all like, no, it, it, it really had that same energy. You took the words right out of my mouth. I was almost looking at Leva and reacting to her as though I was sitting next to her and that we were all on the speakerphone. And it was it was so giddy is the best way I can explain it because it was so funny. You know what Leva and Austin are thinking. You can't believe what Naomi is saying. And you're also just trying to process all the background layers that go into this and what is going on? What is Craig going to think? What would Matul think? What would Patricia think? What would Madison LaCroix think? Like I just needed a live reaction of every single person hearing the news because if we were reacting this way, imagine how they felt. I know. And I know there's a whole camp of people that believe that the hookup never happened. And that's where Whitney's executive producer title really comes into play of kind of faking this storyline. I-, I just don't subscribe to that. Even if it's the case, like even if hypothetically speaking, they never hooked up for purposes of my own enjoyment, I'm believing that they did. I am the first person to think that things maybe will be done for a storyline. But for me, what is Naomi really getting out of that? You know, like she's still relevant. She's not going anywhere. She's the narrator of the show right now. All roads lead to Naomi. Her and Craig have an interesting plot line. She's friends with everyone. Like, what does she really get out of faking a hookup with Whitney? You know, like, I don't know. It just feels like it just feels not necessarily plausible. I honestly think an even more interesting question isn't so much about what she would get out of faking it. Let's assume that it really did happen. I think going a little bit deeper of like, all right, what's the reasoning behind it? And not to say it couldn't have just been a drunken hookup. Shit happens. She's in her single era. Whitney's single. They can do whatever they want. I am all for this with the least amount of judgment. I just think something worth noting is in the midst of this entire Craig situation where I completely respect him setting his boundaries, but I do think he's done it in a way that could maybe be perceived as slightly condescending or slightly abrupt for her, whether or not he's in the right. I think she's receiving it as a little bit jarring. So yeah, if if you're a little shaken by the Craig thing, what a power move in her mind to kind of hook up with Whitney and just throw a wrench in all of it. Not saying that's definitely the case. I just think it's worth mentioning. Yes. And then on top of that, to just so openly kind of drop the bomb the next morning and let it send shockwaves through the whole group when she knows that that's kind of like, it's like sort of groundbreaking news right there. I mean, <laughs> like, I just, I, I actually kind of like it a lot because it's so unexpected. And I just wish that I could have like a live camera watching exactly how it went down and the conversation between them. Because think about it, they've been interacting and been friends for like years. And I don't think anybody ever would have thought this happened. Even people at the party that night were probably like, what? Are you crazy? That's, that's the craziest thing we ever heard. She fully got how much of a holy shit moment this was. She really, really got it. And I think, you know, it's funny because when she's saying how they hooked up, I think (laughs) this is so weird to say, but kind of partially everyone's first thought is like, wow, Patricia will be thrilled. And then she (laughs) says that Whitney said that like POV or Naomi are laying in bed with Whitney and he's like, 
wow, my mom would just be so happy right now. <laughs> By the way, that would turn me on so much. Like that's exactly what I would want him to say to me. Like if he didn't bring up his mom in bed, I would literally be like, this is the biggest mistake of my life. I know. You're like, talk to me about your mom's Birkin collection. <laughs> <laughs> I did not wake up today expecting this to be the conversation we had, actually. You and me both, but I am so happy that we are. And I know there's a million plot lines here, but let's just keep going with this one because the Craig of it all is so interesting and how we got there is so interesting because we're sitting on this bus and we as the audience know that there's three people on this bus that know it went down last night, Austin, Leva, and Naomi. We find out a little bit later on that at some point throughout the day, Austin had told Shep and Taylor, but you're sitting on this bus. You want to acknowledge the elephant in the room. And when Austin brings it up to Craig, it was the kind of thing of, you knew he was going to react. But to me, I was interested in seeing how open he was going to be in his reaction. Meaning like, I fully believe that Craig is entirely in love with Paige. I truly don't think that he wants Naomi back. However, there's an aspect of it that's still kind of fresh. And I don't care who you are. I think that like, you know, you find out that news and you just digest it for a second. He has no right to be mad necessarily, but it's something that I understand having a reaction to. The difference is that it's filmed. So of course he's going to look far more hypocritical than your average person hearing that and maybe processing it on their own or processing it internally. Every single one of his reactions is now filmed and we're getting to see his wheels turn. And to watch that was so wild. I was not expecting that reaction from him at all. Just in the contrast of what we saw when Naomi even tried to have a conversation with him the night before and he was so disinterested, so easily said to her, you know, I have nothing to do with you anymore. You don't affect my life anymore. Like really matter of factly. And I really do believe that's how he felt and what he meant in the moment. But then to see his so uncomfortable feeling and reaction and just like internal flame go off like that. And look, I get it. Maybe it was partially towards Whitney, but I think just overall, the whole thing felt really, really weird and uncomfortable for him. And also, I mean, not to like put the blame on this, but I think it contributed a lot is the environment he's in. He is at a house now with the whole like crew, not the OG crew, but you know, he's really engulfed in that world in this environment without his girlfriend, with his ex-girlfriend and with Whitney. It probably felt a little bit like time travel-y and I don't know, he's around all the boys. He hasn't been hanging out with these guys. Like he's instantly transported to like eight or 10 years ago and now he's hearing this news. It's a lot of emotion going on, but I couldn't help but wonder like how does Paige feel seeing that? Well, in addition to being with everyone, I also think worth noting is that it's Whitney's thing. I mean, he is the one that took them to this sprawling mansion. And so there's almost a subliminal power dynamic that's kind of existing on this trip because Whitney's like the, quote, head of the trip. He's the organizer there. So I also think for Craig to receive this news at Whitney's like place of business is just you know a contributing element, specifically for the very fragile male ego. But Okay, I have like a million thoughts, especially since you said the page thing. Wait, I, think- I just can't stop laughing about you calling this historical Frank Lloyd Wright house Whitney's <laughs> place of business. That's just how I felt. He was walking around like he owned the place, wasn't he? That is funny. <laughs> I think in terms of Craig's reaction, like there's so much to discuss here and I'm sure people have very conflicting opinions. For me, I think I would have had a problem with it if it felt even slightly slut shamey towards Naomi, but that was not the energy I was picking up on. I think that he had definitely some 
anger towards her or just some kind of confusion, but it didn't feel like that was where his energy was centered. To me, it felt like he was totally discombobulated and thrown off and he was just spewing, you know? Totally. I think he was completely caught off guard. I mean, by the way, so was I. So was everybody, but he is a little bit more of a dog in the fight and like it actually emotionally affects him. So imagine like the overwhelming shock that we felt. So for him, it's like the first one of his actual, I guess, close quote friends or people that have been on such a journey with him hooking up with his ex-girlfriend, he felt like it violated bro code. And also I think it bruised his ego because up until literally the day before, he felt like Naomi was still so obsessed with him, would have taken him back in a heartbeat. So for her to just be like doing her thing and living life, he was like, wait a minute. I thought she was kind of like, ready to get back together with me. That's exactly what I'm saying. Like as much as I fully believe Craig when he talks about how in love with Paige he is and how he sees his future with her, the way that he was so dismissive of Naomi's entire existence, that wasn't as genuine as I think that he was trying to convince himself that it was. So for this to happen, you're right. It's like he didn't want to get back with Naomi at all, but I think for one moment he was basking in the fact that there was a kind of uneven power dynamic between him and Naomi. It seemed like he was the one in the driver's seat. And that's kind of the opposite of how it was in their relationship. So I think that for a moment, as much as he was saying he didn't want it and didn't want the complication because the last thing he would have wanted was for it to screw up anything with Paige, there was a slight part of him that liked it. And so then this Whitney thing just totally took him off guard. And then watching Austin's wheels turn and watching Craig like do his normal Craig sort of thing. Like Austin could sense it. He knows Craig so well. So Craig's like, yeah, yeah, that's, you know, crazy. Cool. And then like stands up and starts walking away. Austin's like, I know this trick. I've played this game before. I know exactly what you're thinking. And then Whitney waltzes in and was like, hey guys, I heard everything you said. (laughs) Like, what? That's the moment when I looked up Whitney's age and I was like, you are a 54-year-old man. <laughs> and, and by the way, in Frank Lloyd Wright's home, I, I don't Spying think so. on Craig and Austin. <laughs> right. Like, it, it, it's so wild. Which, hold on, we haven't even gotten into the Shep element of it all. Because when they're at the campfire and Craig and Shep start to go at it, in that moment I was watching this and I was like, all right. First of all, Everyone here on some level is making valid points because yes, Shep and Whitney absolutely were shitty to Craig. And I totally think that they liked when Craig was kind of at his lowest and not to say they're not happy for him, but I think that it's an adjustment in terms of their dynamic because he really is objectively doing so well. I think it's a harder pill for them to swallow than they will ever, ever admit. And so Craig is absolutely not wrong in that. At the same time, I believe that in that moment, his anger, while still maybe there, was totally misplaced because it was for Naomi, but he knew he had no leg to stand on in terms of being outwardly mad at Naomi for the Whitney thing. And so he was shifting towards Shep, which again, he's not wrong. And Shep actually isn't even wrong in my belief when he says, you know, you craved our validation. I think all of those things are true. I think they were really shitty to him. I also do think that Craig on some level you know, craved their validation. Him, Austin, and Shep have a lot of just unresolved issues that they continue to sweep under the rug. And like the rug is piled probably 20 feet high at this point. So it was immediate that he was able to snap at him and also make it sort of this general conversation about like where he's at in his life and how great he's doing and how good he is. And he doesn't need Shep. Therefore, he doesn't need this whole group. And he is so much better and in a different place and like almost trying to validate himself that he is not in a place where he was 
X amount of years ago where here he is sitting like fuming over something Naomi did. Like that is so vintage. And he, I think, was trying to remind himself like, no, I'm a different person now. I'm a different person now. Totally. And that's what I'm saying, that pretty much everything he was saying to Shep was totally valid. And I think his anger is very valid. But to acknowledge the elephant in the room, it wasn't just a coincidence that he was lashing out at Shep in this way right after finding out the Whitney Naomi news. I mean, to say the two aren't connected, I think is just like ridiculous, even if he's still right. <laughs> like, And then nobody wants to actually say out loud what was happening. Like, I think up until this point, they hadn't acknowledged it at the campfire, right? Had they? No. Like everyone is just sitting there. By the way, did everyone there even know? I think it was like sort of trickling down through the group. But like this just goes back to another favorite moment from the episode is when Whitney starts showing Naomi like five different rooms to choose from. And Austin's like, don't look at Leva. Don't look at Leva. Don't look at Leva. I was like, that's how I feel. And I'm sitting (laughs) home in my bed. And then it's also just logistical question. Actually, for Whitney, why does Naomi have her pick of all three rooms, but Olivia has to bunk up with Shep and Taylor? You know, like, I feel like we could have thrown her a bone and given her her own room. Like, she even if she got the one that Naomi didn't pick. I know. How, if I'm her, I'm like, wait, something's not something's not enough here. Yeah, no, like this math is not mathing. Do you realize how funny it is that this entire interaction and Shep is falling back at his chair at this campfire when Naomi is in full latex at Frank Lloyd Wright's mansion. Like only Southern charm. It's so similar to how we talk about like Miami and New York in terms of like how the city really plays into the show. And with Southern charm, the South Carolina of it all cannot be forgotten. I mean, it physically can't be forgotten. You're reminded of it constantly. Something that Craig and Paige both separately and together discuss a lot is how in New York, you could go like months or years or never run into your ex or have to hang out with them. Whereas Charleston feels like this almost like a closed like bubble college community. So it's like almost inevitable and normal that you're around your ex and hang out all the time. Obviously, these circumstances are completely different. They're literally castmates on a show together. But I think it's less weird that they're just like hopping on the bus together. Whereas I think Paige is like, what the hell is going on? Like, this is not something I'm used to. And for them, it's like, yeah, we've all kind of hooked up. We've been around each other. I'm friends with a lot of my exes. Yeah. Oh, completely. I mean, the other thing that I wanted to mention when going back to your point about how Craig was saying like, whoa, what am I doing here? I feel like I'm in a, in a, kind of time machine and this whole me being upset about something with Naomi feels very vintage. On top of that, I think that's where we have to consider that the show comes into play. And, you know, on some level, he's has to be aware of like, how does this look from a narrative perspective of like, I will not go back to this time. I will not go back to the sad boy upset over Naomi and feeling like I'm being shit on by this by this group of people. So I think like in addition to potentially being triggered by the events, he's also very conscious of not allowing the narrative to go that way, especially because up until now, I think he really has kind of looked like he's come out on top. Totally. It It's just, it's so crazy. Don't you think? This is such a fucking good episode. This was such a good episode. Wait, you know what we didn't even talk about? When what? In the beginning of the episode when he's sitting with Paige and they're talking about him going away for the weekend and she makes a comment about how kind of awkward and uncomfortable she felt it was for Naomi to pull him aside at the dog wedding. <laughs> at the dog <laughs> wedding, I say with a straight face. You know, and she's just kind of saying how she didn't feel like that was the most kosher thing to do. And 
it's interesting because I'm not saying that she's wrong at all. I, I totally get it. Also, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, but they're on a show. Naomi kind of had to do that. But I guess I view Paige to be so unbothered by it all that I was almost surprised that she had that reaction, even though I don't believe it to be invalid. Okay. But did Naomi have to do it? I don't mean to be coming down hard on Naomi if that's how it feels like I am because I actually love her so much and I pretty much agree with like a lot of things and always see her side. But I felt like her pulling Craig aside at this party was so unnecessary. Like what? It's that you're acting different and being awkward around me. Like that didn't have to be such like a sit down conversation. It's the same way I felt about we need to get coffee immediately. Like I have to tell you something. And it was about Catherine. That I felt was very like producer minded where it was this thing. They needed to talk about it. Craig was the only one who could save the day. But here it just felt like, again, really like I feel like he has no interest anymore in talking about it. It wasn't something that urgent. And Maybe she wasn't getting the clue in a way. So, like, I understand for Paige why I was like, oh, again, like these, she keeps having these one on one conversations about things that are sort of irrelevant and not that important. Oh my God, I'm very much on her page. It was weird of her to do with Paige there. If she was going to do it, I think it would have been less weird for her to pull him aside if Paige wasn't there, but it did feel, even for her sake, like just not something she wants to engage in, right? I just feel like there's a chiller way to do it. And maybe this is just like my personality, but she could have gone up to Craig and Paige together. Her and Paige seem to have a very nice, friendly relationship and been like chatting with them and just been like, Craig, you know, you don't, you don't need to be a stranger. Like we're all good. Like with Paige there even, and just made it like a very chill, nonchalant thing instead of like, Shep, can you give us a minute? Like Shep has to get up and they have to move in the other room. And then it's a whole thing. Like it didn't need to be a thing. I know it, it. No, it did not need to be a thing. And I think that for Craig, it's kind of like his worst nightmare. This was interesting when they're having the conversation. And she starts to say, you know, I feel like you're different. And he cuts her off. And he's like, if you're about to say that I'm different in front of you than I am when my girlfriend is here, like that's. And she was like, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I didn't like his tone towards her. I felt it to be kind of dismissive and condescending, but it did show how overly conscious he was of making sure that was not the narrative. No, and I think he immediately knew what that would look like on TV and also to Paige of like when the cameras are down or when people aren't around or when Paige isn't around, like I'm way more flirty and into you and like we have some sort of different relationship and I'm putting this on for the camera for the people around us. Like that would look really bad and I was glad that that was not the direction she was going, not because I wasn't sure if it was true because I was just hoping it wasn't true. You know, like I thought this was a real realistic version of their relationship that we're seeing. And I'm glad that she sort of confirmed that it was. It. I think that it is. I just think that like the thing that can't be forgotten is that they had sex very recently, you know, and not to say that you can't have sex with someone. And then a few months later, not like be romantically interested. But if you're the person's significant other it's a totally different situation knowing they just slept together so recently. I did not forget that. Right. But I'm saying like, think about it. If they hadn't slept together since Prima Tool, we'd be in a totally different situation here. Yes. Yes. I mean, I don't blame her. No, I don't blame her either. That's what I'm saying. Like, yes, sex can be casual, but it is still a very intimate thing. And when it happens, it releases something in you, you know? Like, I think that people are so quick to disregard it once you like reach a certain age. And I just still think there's a certain level of intimacy associated with it that you kind of can't remove. 
especially when you have so much history and so much back and forth like they do. And I think, especially on Naomi's side, but maybe even for Craig, a little bit of lingering feelings that you're so unsure of or just like a question of what if, there's a lot, a lot that goes into that. Well, like when you dated someone for a very long time, right? And then you're no longer dating and you sleep with them. If you were in a committed relationship, theoretically, when you were previously having sex, you would say, I love you. That is a very different type of sex than sleeping with someone you just met. So like, that's also a factor in all of this. You know what I mean? It was kind of like when they're sitting on the couch a few episodes ago and he called her babe, which was a total slip. It's not that crazy that like a love you could have potentially slipped or like a forehead kiss mid them having sex. I'm not saying it did, but you know. <laughs> Welcome to our Southern Charm Sex and Love podcast. That is now just exclusively what we're going to cover. It's so much fun. No other show on Bravo with the exception of Summer House and even them. They don't do it like this. No, this is just, this is like deep rooted shit. I just, I love it so much. I saw a tweet tonight from Sophie Ross. We'll put the link in the description. And it's that meme that's going viral of the girl yelling at the guy at the concert. And she writes, the early seasons of Vanderpump Rules, Southern Charm, and Real Housewives were the golden era of reality TV and lightning in a bottle, basically. And now everyone on TV is hyper aware of how they're perceived mainly because of social media. So we can never get that back. I mean, that tweet is literally me yelling at anybody who will listen. Anybody who will listen. You will never get like a Jackson Stassi argument the way we used to ever. I mean, a Kristen and Jack sleeping together plotline? Forget about it. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. So I don't know if you guys suffer from allergies, but kind of a new development in my life is that I apparently do. I didn't used to, but in the last few years, I've noticed specifically as the seasons change that I start to have allergies. And to me, there is nothing more uncomfortable than that feeling of nasal congestion. Like you just don't feel like yourself. And I was really looking for something that worked because so much of this stuff doesn't work. And I found Astapro to be really helpful. So I think it could be for you too, if you deal with this kind of stuff. So Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24 hour over the counter allergy spray. And it starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24 hour steroid free allergy spray. And Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. By the way, that 30 minutes thing is real. And for me to have relief in 30 minutes is just a game changer. Get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. And one of the most fun parts about the seasons changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, their washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. 
And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. The other thing that I wanted to mention, which I know there's a million things to discuss here, is the preview that we got for next week's episode where you see Taylor kind of breaking down and it feels like it's opening us up to this discussion about Shep potentially being verbally abusive towards her and that she's kind of at her breaking point, which I mean, we've said this, you know, them being broken up is probably the smartest option. It doesn't feel like it's a relationship that's serving either of them, specifically her. She just feels like such a sweet soul. And I think that Shep has a lot of anger inside of him that potentially gets misdirected towards her in a really unfair way. But that's going to be, I think, a really heavy discussion next week. Yeah, because it's not like their relationship has always been like sunshine and rainbows. There's been a lot of cracks. But to see it really take a turn and know that it ends in them breaking up and also how much involvement like their friends and the rest of the group has, you know, like I didn't even think about that when I heard that they broke up because I thought sort of like on their own, that was an easy decision to make. But it seems like there's a lot more, you know, voices and opinions that end up getting into it just because of what they themselves see. I think that Shep is a really hard person to be in a relationship with. Yes. A friend relationship or romantic. Yeah, I I think that he makes it really, really difficult because he doesn't strike me as the person that's even slightly cooperative. Like there, there's nothing wrong with standing your ground. Obviously, you want to be strong minded and have your opinions. I think that's like what makes the world go round. But when somebody is so unwilling to be cooperative, I just think that gets old really, really fast. And it seems like Taylor is kind of the opposite of that. And I think you can enter a really dangerous territory. I'm not doubting his intelligence, but I just think that he's harsh in a lot of ways and it's completely an unfair match. It's funny because in so many ways, he seems like just like such a go with the flow, easy, like carefree person. But I don't think that's the truth at all when it comes to other things. Like I think he's very black and white in that way. And even we've seen in his friendships how much he's struggled and how hard those relationships have been to keep up. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot there. And I kind of could say that for most people on this cast, like think about if this would never happen, but if we could really go deep inside like a therapy session where they were speaking really openly about what's going on, you would get to the bottom of a lot of the insecurities that are not as openly discussed as I wish they could be. I would obviously do anything. Also the Austin and Sierra plot line, which kind of reemerged and really brought me back to the Hamptons. The reason I felt this was so unfair and I felt like very protective over Sierra because we didn't get to hear from her at all. And I feel like the way it's portrayed is that she was just like sitting around waiting and after all the bullshit he's put her through, she just like said, sure, I'll come over. And there was nothing – like we don't know her perspective of the story. And it's hard because it really – we only see it from Austin's view, which is like he clearly was using Sierra. And I felt so overprotective of her, you know? Yeah, but also – the way that Paige kind of introduced it, I felt was telling when she was like, by mm. the way, you know, who's here, our girl, which does make it feel like they were on better terms going into the evening. I mean, she wouldn't have said it in that playful of a tone if Sierra came into it being like, I will never, you know, speak to him again. There yeah, must no. have been some understanding that we're not fully aware of. I, I totally agree with you, though. I wish like Sierra had a confessional. 
I know. That's true. I mean, who knows? But I love when there's like a drop of like a third party character from another show. It's like so meta metaverse. I know. I felt like saying to Olivia, I know you don't know what went on in the Hamptons, but you really need to be informed. (laughs) Anything else you want to mention about this episode? There's so much. I swear to you, I could do an entire episode on this, but I know not everyone cares. I mean, like, don't tempt me with a good time. But no, I'm now reinvigorated. Like last week, I got to be honest, was a real low. Like a dog wedding took up 50 plus percent of the episode and I love dogs I love the whole shebang I love seeing Austin and Madison up at the altar with two dogs like hilarious but come on like that was sad so then to really boomerang to this kind of episode I'm really I'm excited about the second half of the season no me too I I don't even remember what we said in our initial conversation because it was so immediate reaction after just watching the episode. But the point that I want to make very clear, just in case I didn't earlier, is like I am very much team Craig when it comes to Craig versus Shep and Whitney. But I think that some of his anger towards them in the moment was certainly misplaced while still being valid. Yes. (laughs) It's a good talk, good talk. Good talk, good talk. So Mother's Day is coming up, and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom, because realistically, no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter, and it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy, because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage, so you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen, and every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that, and it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. 50 high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Just a few news things that we wanted to touch on before Atlanta and Beverly Hills. So as we were saying last week, Teresa launched a podcast with Melissa Feister called Namaste Bitches, and they released a six-minute teaser where they kind of talked a little bit about the wedding, and they alluded to the Dina and the Melissa and Joe of it all. 
I didn't know the whole thing was very much classic Teresa in terms of the way she was talking, but the Dina element of it was actually what I was most interested by because, you know, she mentioned the quotes that we mentioned last week about how Dina had been posting those kind of cryptic quotes. And Teresa said, you know, but she clarified to a fan that that had nothing to do with me and that she had been posting those. And I knew ahead of time that she was never going to be coming to the wedding. And so I really wish Dina the best. So she didn't make it seem as though something terrible happened before the wedding, that it was a snap decision for Dina not to be there. As a reminder, last week we said the reason that the sources were reporting is that she didn't want to be on camera, which was still something we couldn't fully get behind. But I still feel like we're slightly being gaslit because up until a few months ago, she referred to Dina as her soul sister. And now it's like, I I just wish her the best. Like, what happened there? I don't know. It's really like upsetting me, honestly, because I always thought that that was such a real genuine friendship that Teresa had in her life. And I love Teresa, but I just feel like she needed some like grounding presence and people that had known her through a lot of different phases. And look, Dina, of course, has her faults and I don't agree with her on everything, but I think she's just like a really sort of level-headed friend for her to have. And it seemed like they were so nice going on all these trips as couples. So for it to so quickly be like, I wish her the best it's really like it's really fucking with me it's fucking with me that's what i'm saying and i feel like we missed something like you know what 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 happened because okay so let's say it really was the camera reason which i still can't get on board with but hypothetically speaking let's say when teresa says you know i always knew dina was never coming to the wedding it was because she didn't want to be on camera just for one second let's believe that it still doesn't explain the gap between i wish her the best like the two things are not computing and I don't know if anyone has any insight. I really don't know. (laughs) Because also, weren't we just like a couple of months ago talking about why Dolores wasn't invited to the showers and all that kind of stuff? And it was because Dina was there. Dina was hosting things. And it was all like Dina, Dina, Dina in the planning phase sort of of this wedding and Dina posting when they got engaged and how excited she was and that they were going to be newlywed. So it just... I need to know. I literally need to know, and I hope it's not something permanent. I don't think if it was something that bad, it feels like Teresa probably would have been a little bit harder just knowing Teresa, but who knows? Who's to say? Maybe it was Dina's decision. I I think that it was Dina's decision. I just have to wonder why. I mean, in terms of the Melissa and Joe, again, she said she really can't speak much on it. They have to wait for the show to come out. But then she said, you know, well, I'm so lucky that I found a Melissa that I love, love, love talking about her co-host, which was obviously a dig at at Melissa Gorga. It's it's very funny that Melissa and Teresa are now having dueling podcasts where they get to tell their sides of the stories, like as if we didn't have enough of their on-screen tension. Right. So now we get to hear both sides of the story on their podcast. Then we get to see it all go down on TV. I mean, It's a lot of Joe, Melissa, and Teresa content to keep up with, but I'm not complaining. It's a lot, but I feel like entirely enthused and not bored by it yet. Maybe that day will come, but I'm, I'm still on board. I'm ready for Jersey season, I'll tell you that much. Which, speaking of, did you guys see that DirecTV ad that was <gasps> uh... – <laughs> Okay, I'm sure most of you saw it. If not, we'll put the link in the description, but it's Teresa, Kenya, and Kyle, and they're in DirecTV's new ad alongside the Dallas Cowboys quarterback, Dak Prescott, and wide receiver, CeeDee Lamb. It was just brilliant. I mean, you have to watch it, but for Teresa to end it with who flips a table, chef's kiss. (gasps) Chef's fucking kiss. I mean, this felt like a Super Bowl commercial. I'm honestly kind of upset that it wasn't. It was so good, so funny. I felt so 
happy with the three that were chosen. I know people probably have varying opinions, but just in terms of like what this was about, like they are three iconic core like old school housewives who are so recognizable and really play the part and represent their cities. I love the three of them together. I loved the whole concept of the ad. I was not expecting to wake up one day and see a full like two minute ad of them on the football field in sparkly uniforms, but it was just, it was amazing. I'm, I can't even believe we waited this long to talk about it. The Queens of Bravo did this post, which we'll also put the link to, where they were kind of talking about the theories behind their jersey numbers because Kyle was wearing a six. And according to this post, the theory is Kyle's number is six, a.k.a. the sixth theory in the Real Housewives franchise. Teresa's number is 19 for you've been engaged 19 times. And Kenya's number is 93 because she won Miss USA in 1993. This ad is so deep, which like honestly, that tracks to me. Someone also had said, like, Kyle is for six people in her family. I would love to know if these theories are right because I honestly also think it could be like, oh, we just picked random numbers or they have some, like, sports meaning that we all don't know. And we're, of course, thinking about Danielle Stab's number of engagements. But, like, little things like that, you know, don't put it past a Bravo fan. Okay, hypothetically speaking, if it is sports related, I don't want to know about it. I would so much <laughs> rather think, like, I would so much rather just, you know, be blissfully thinking that it's because of Kenya's 93 pageant win and Danielle Staub. That's like, that. that's the reality I want to live in. Ch- separation of church and state. Yeah, exactly. Also just wanted to note that Cut Fitness is closing after almost 10 years, but Tamara and Eddie's CBD business is still going strong. <laughs> I'm sad about Cut Fitness, but I got to say, I've been listening to a lot of Jeff Lewis live on Radio Andy, and he swears by the Venus CBD, so maybe we got to give it a try. I am into CBD. When we do the ads for Sunday Scaries, that's not me bullshitting. I love those gummies. It genuinely, they help me sleep. That's my dessert every night, and I forget that they're CBD. I like eat the whole bottle. (laughs) Aren't they so good? Yes, this is not even an ad. I just love them. I swear to God, it's on that. I don't even think there's an ad of, of that in this episode. When we do the ads, like if you can hear me talk about it, I'm serious. Like I genuinely love the Neutrogena Hydro Boost. I mean, same. Okay, so I want to talk cookware for a second because I haven't told you guys about this company and I recently tried their products and I fully understand the hype now. So they're called Great Jones and they make really high quality, thoughtfully designed cookware that also happens to be beautiful. Like I know it's kind of a weird way to describe cookware, but you'll see what I mean when you go on the website. In terms of colors, they have your classic black and white, but they also have pink screens, yellows, blues, just like really vibrant, fun colors. And everything is non-toxic. So they have, you know, Dutch oven, ceramic dishes, non-stick sheet pans. Everything is non-toxic to me. That's huge. And we all know, like I'm not the biggest cook, but I have my staples. And I got originally from them the Fry Family, which is the eight and 10 inch ceramic nonstick pans. And they're just great. I got them in the white because that matches the best with my kitchen. I love cooking on them. And I also, I know, again, it sounds kind of weird, but I love the way they look in my kitchen. And the thing is, once you get these, you're going to want to get them for your friends. So they make incredible gifts for weddings, housewarming parties, birthdays, whatever occasion you need. It's a great gift. Upgrade your kitchen and replace those old rusted hand-me-downs with bold, beautiful, long-lasting pieces from Great Jones. Get started today at greatjones.com and get an extra 15% off your first order with promo code CBC. That's greatjones.com, promo code CBC. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who 
know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. Listen, I love Marlo as much as the next guy, and I know I've said that before, but when it comes down to it, I am team candy 100% of the time, and you can tell she's just not having it. And that's why I said to you, I think it was a few episodes ago, this wasn't just like a casual feud. I genuinely think where they're at now was all building from these moments. Like I think that Marlo was kind of playing around with it, not realizing the damage that it would do. I think candy, like current day, honestly wants nothing to do with her. Same. And I think there was not that much like pulling Candy back to almost weigh the decision of like, I love Marlo or we're such good friends. Like she really had nothing to lose. And honestly, I think the person happiest that this went down like this was Kenya because Kenya really respects Candy. I think they all sort of recognize that Candy's perception of people and almost her say about them is sort of like the most important in a way, just because she's like, I don't know, not the leader of the group, but she just holds a lot of weight. So for her all of a sudden to be so not into Marlo and Kenya be like, see, I told you like, this is who she is. Don't engage with it and feel so validated, I think was like, honestly, a great moment for Kenya. And also it was so interesting that Marlo thought that Candy would just completely brush over it and be like silly and funny with her the next day. And Candy's like, no, you like really went there. Like it wasn't just some fun shade. Like I can play that. Like Candy, if all of all people is down for some shade and that was just not normal, like funny shade. No, especially she's coming after her husband. Aside from any of the comments about her being only known in Atlanta, like you can't expect to come for Todd and have Candy be okay with it, especially given, you know, Candy and Marlo's history regarding the subject. Right. That's the thing too. It's deep rooted. It's topics and comments that Marlo has made in the past that she knows Candy hates and of course is like really scarring to her character. So why does she think now it would be different than any other time? Like, there's a reason that they haven't been friends for so many years. In terms of the Kenya thing, though, let me tell you, she was never happier than to be able to repeat the she's worldwide line. Like, that was a, a defensive candy. I think she was, you're so right, thrilled to deliver. Oh, my God. She was just, she was soaking it in. She she was. I can't get behind the Sonia Kenya kind of feud because it just feels so fake to me. It's just, I don't really know what to feel about Sonia because I don't know her that well. I really like her and I think she's 
trying so hard to just have fun and be like great in the group, but I just, it's so hard to judge these kind of situations. Yeah. I'm trying to process it as we're talking about it to really understand why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. And I feel like there's a part of me that's almost wanting to say to Sonia, listen, I am not saying Kenya is perfect. She certainly has her faults, but this can't be surprising behavior for you. Like, yes, I fully get this is your first season, but we're talking about Kenya more here. Everyone kind of knows how she operates. So it can't be a shock to you that she is going to have something to say about you not responding to her call, whether or not you were in the wrong. Right. It's so true. I I don't even know what to think about it. (laughs) Of course, Drew hurt her Achilles, you know? Of course. But you know what I was thinking? Like, at least she won. They really, I really thought Marlo had her there. And when they played back the slow-mo, it was such a close call. But at least she fucking won. Like, she went to the hospital. She came back in a wheelchair. At least she was a winner. Also, what are the odds that, like, the minister of, of all of Jamaican sports just so happens to be there as she tears her Achilles? <laughs> that was wild. <laughs> this whole trip is just wild. Honestly, I'm loving it. But those are the things where, like, I would watch, I'm not kidding, an entire series only from the perspective of these side characters that pop in for one episode. So perfect example is exactly the Minister of Sports for Jamaica. Like, what does she think when she walks onto the track and there's Marlo Hampson in just, like, full-blown underwear? (laughs) And they're, like, still fighting about something from the night before and Drew is, like, on the ground crying in pain. Right. Like that's what you want. You want the security outside of Sutton's store. You know, like I just want confessionals from all of those people. Think about how much we loved when Marco from Bluestone Manor had a confessional. Like imagine a show that was only confessionals of these side characters that got a first row seat to the drama. In Beverly Hills this week, I would want one from the bartenders at Rinna's beauty party and another one from Phoenix Kemsley. Okay. By the way, Phoenix Kemsley is such an icon icon literally give her a diamond when she looked at pk and was like if she falls it's gonna be your fault because you're not making her feel confident i was like yes put phoenix and northwest in a room and let's just see what happens yeah (laughs) magic baby magic that is so funny (laughs) speaking of beverly hills let's get into it honestly my entire feeling on this episode could probably be summed up by I have yet to disagree with Garcelle, I think. I am obsessed with Garcelle. Literally, best housewife we've gotten in a long, long, long time. I just am so on her page. I think she's seeing everything exactly as I am seeing it, which a lot of other people maybe don't feel, but you at least can appreciate the role that she has in the group. And I also think Erica is becoming increasingly like – more intolerable. Yeah, it's a little bit unhinged. I mean, we got a DM last week from someone that was saying that they feel like they really like Garcelle, but they think that some of the other women's frustrations stem from the fact that she says a lot in her confessional potentially, and she says less to their faces, which I I don't know. That's not my view of it because think about it. When Erica called her out for the drinking problem thing, she was the first one to say, yeah, I did say that because it was coming from a place of concern. You know, or when she says to Erica, listen, I don't need to make you look bad. You do it all by yourself. Like, I don't think that there's such a stark contrast between the way she handles the women in the group and then the way she talks about them in her confessional. Of course, it's a little bit more biting in a confessional because that's the housewives. That's the name of the game. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't find her to be two-faced, though. I actually find her authenticity to be very, very refreshing, specifically in a group where that doesn't seem to be the case. Something that I feel like is happening with 
Rinna and Erica specifically is maybe it's because the way that they think, they think everyone else thinks in terms of very like calculated and for the show and who said this and who said that and no one has their best interest at heart. And I think everyone else is sort of like, we're sort of just like living and doing what feels right to us. But because I think they think that way and they operate that way, they assume that the same is true for everybody else. So they, I don't know, like they feel like they think everyone is out to get them and there's some like conspiracy theory going on. And everyone's like, there's not. Garcelle's like, yeah, did I bring it up to two of your closer friends because that felt right to me and it felt like maybe I should feel out the waters with them first before I directly come to you? Yeah, I did. There's not some huge conspiracy here that I'm trying to make you look bad and come up with this drinking problem allegations that are completely untrue. Garcelle's like, I just lived. Like, I just spoke to my friends and there's not really that deep. Well, the reason that I find it so hypocritical on Erica's end is because a few episodes ago when Rinna went to her house and had the hard conversation, which we actually applauded Rinna for doing, Erica was very receptive. So if you're going to be receptive to Rinna coming to you with a concern that you view to be legitimate, how can you be mad at Garcelle for having that same concern? And it also sort of negates what she said back to her, which was, if I had a drinking problem, you'd be like the last to know. My real good girlfriends who are around me all the time would have come to me. And it's like, they kind of already did. I mean, Kyle was brushing it under the rug. Dorit really didn't say much. But Rinna said it to her, not in like a drinking too much way, but like a let's figure this out way. Maybe her approach was more acceptable or just because it's her. Erica didn't process it in the same way. But like, Yes, they did. Like, Rinna did go to her. They did have that hard conversation. So for Erica to completely say, like, nobody had questions or comments except for you is factually not true. I also think it's really bold of Erica to come at Garcelle for this when potentially, like, her worst moment this season was when she was yelling at Garcelle's son. And even if that was just in a moment of drunken rage, like, it still was one of the least chill things we've seen this season. And so it's like, wait a second. If anyone has a reason to cite for feeling like your behavior is slightly concerning. It's the person whose son you made feel so uncomfortable. It was like a major lack of self-awareness when a few episodes ago when they were at, I believe it was Kyle's event and she was talking to Garcelle, she fully acknowledged it. And it's like, wait, where'd that go? Right. Like you are acknowledging that you had three really bad nights or outbursts. I mean, at least that we've seen on the show this far. And one of them, if not more, have involved Garcelle. Like she is not just pulling this out of thin air. I mean, it's it's very bizarre. Also, gotta love Diana Jenkins with the random, uh, I don't know, Garcelle, I feel like you're the most guarded one here. I'm like, get the fuck out. When she said, Google me, I wanted to start playing Kim Zilsiak's song, Google me. <laughs> I know, I know. Like, I, yeah. You know what was I was thinking when, when they're going to Aspen next week and Diana's like, I'm just going to be staying at a hotel. Like, I know myself. I'm a really good host, but I'm not the best guest, which I think is honestly... I'm not a fan of the woman, but I actually think very admirable to have that self-awareness. That is what Lisa Hochstein needed to do when she went to Lars's jewelry trip in the Hamptons. She should have just said, listen, I'm going to stay at a hotel. I am not a good guest. I don't share bathrooms. I don't share rooms. And maybe that's not feasible for this trip. I'm, I'm going to Gurney's. Exactly. Exactly. Wait, other thing that we need to talk about from this episode is the scene where Kathy's at Crystal's house hilarious. I'm having a really difficult time because I know what's coming up and that we're going to see like a really dark 
unlikable bad side of Kathy. But specifically in this episode, she was like cracking me up. Oh my, she was killing me. Watching (laughs) Crystal and Rob scramble around their kitchen like they were on, I don't know, like the amazing race, trying to come up with a snack and a Diet Coke and a glass and ice and wine and cheese and crackers and a napkin for Kathy was literally hysterical. Like Rob Minkoff in his kitchen holding up a block of cheese, asking Kathy Hilton if she's a fan of blue cheese, and then like immediately scrambling for the Gouda when she wasn't. <laughs> he did not direct the Lion King to be doing that shit. He was probably more stressed in that moment trying to figure out Kathy's cheese selection than he was like p- producing some of the world's biggest movies. Oh, it was really, really funny. They have a legitimate friendship, her and Crystal. I know. I actually really enjoy them together. Yeah. And I appreciated the conversation that Crystal had with Rob. And I I also really think that it was important how she kind of acknowledged, like, it's not that I don't appreciate people's concerns, but I need to do this on my own timeline. And and I felt that she pushed back in a really kind of dignified way. And I, I give her a lot of credit for that because I think it's a really uncomfortable spot to be in when people are kind of violating you in terms of the way that they're discussing something so personal to you. Right. And also that she shouldn't be feeling any pressure from them or from anybody. It has to be her and her decision and she shouldn't be doing something just to appease them. Right. And for no reason other than it only works when it's coming from you actually wanting to do it, you know, like with anything. Right. Exactly. An interesting moment is when Kathy was talking to Garcelle and Cherie and she was talking about her husband, Rick, and how he's kind of protective over her. And she said that, you know, he says to her kind of like, you get caught doing the wrong thing and you're canceled, which felt kind of eerie now and almost like foreshadowing given what we hear is about to go down in Aspen. And again, we don't know for a fact, but from the way that it's been shown, it doesn't look so promising for Kathy. So, I mean... It was one slight little comment, and she's still actively promoting the show on her Instagram, but it definitely feeds into the theory that, like, Rick was not so down with her doing this in the first place. It was just very eerie foreshadowing is what I felt. Well, that's the thing with reality TV. We were kind of having the same conversation about Diana. It's certainly a risk that you take. Absolutely. Just to backtrack for a second, because before it really got into Erica and Garcelle, it was more so Sutton and Erica, and that's when Sutton kind of drops the bomb that she received a phone call of someone wanting more information, and her lawyer is now dealing with it. This is, I think, an unpopular opinion. To me, this is too reminiscent of last season. Like, I'm really done with the Sutton-Erica legal drama plot. Not to say that Erica's legal drama is over. It's certainly not. I just am like, all right, there's so many more things happening that we can get into. Okay. Like, yes, I do see that, but also I fucking live for it. And by the way, if I'm Sutton, after that shit that I went through and Erica a million times freaking out that it has nothing to do with Sutton, how would it have to do with her? These lawsuits aren't real. You are not involved. And why would you call a lawyer? For Sutton to get an actual call from a lawyer about one of the lawsuits and really see and prove her point that she could be involved i mean hello that was like her golden fucking ticket right there of course she's gonna take it of course she's gonna use it and at this point she has nothing that she owes erica and i think it was almost a two-part reason for her to bring it up 
not just at all, but even in front of the group. Number one, proving her point from last season. And number two, sort of this reminder of like, have we just forgotten about what's going on with Erica and the reasons why she is the way she is and how she's acting and how she's completely made it as though this like lawsuit in this part of her life has gone away? Like, we're barely talking about it. It's like, hello, that is still literally the reality of her life. It's barely changed since last year. If anything, it's probably gotten worse. Wait, no part of me blames Sutton in the slightest for bringing it up. It would be wild for her to have that happen and then to not bring it up. She has every single right. I think what I'm saying is that I'm so consistently dissatisfied with Erica's reaction because she never is willing to have any grace. Like she is so hyper defensive that she can't for a second like level with Sutton that it's it's like so frustrating because – I don't get as much validation as I feel I would if Erica could react in like any sort of a civilized way. Well, that's also I'm getting really annoyed with Rinna because this is like the fifth time that she's flip-flopped back on Sutton. Like, don't say you're over it. If you're not over it and you don't want to forgive her, like that is 100% fine. Every Nobody is making you. But for her to say like, let's bury it, I'm over it over and over again and then continue to bring it up just when it's sort of relevant or she feels like it is – it's like, it's enough. And she keeps trying to divert the attention away. It's like, I don't say it because if the tables were turned, you would say, you got to practice what you preach or you got to stick to your word. Totally. It's like, commit to one side or the other. Just just stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. What else do you want to mention from this episode? Anything? I don't know. This was also a good episode. Really heavy in like the second half of the episode, but actually just great overall. I think we're like really getting into part two and there's so much going on. Like even in that one conversation that they were all sitting there, we ping ponged around from like 10 different things. So I'm kind of excited to like get into each one deeper and Mm -hmm. see where it goes. And also like this trip to Aspen, I know is going to be a fucking explosion. It's going to be wild. (laughs) Wild. Okay. Well, I think that is all for this week. Julie and I will be back on Monday. And thank you guys so much for listening. We love you. Let's talk about baby making for a second, because it's really not as simple as it's made out to be. Meaning there's just factually a lack of knowledge surrounding how to get pregnant And kind of, you know, for many of us, we spend our lives trying to prevent unwanted pregnancy that when you do want to conceive, there's almost a lack of understanding and resources, which is why I want to introduce you to Frida Fertility. Frida Fertility is the only one-stop shop that makes it easier to make a baby with a set of solutions for everything from egg and sperm health to ovulation tracking to conception aid. And basically what Frida is doing is simplifying the journey to parenthood with products that help you go from trying to making a baby. And their products are innovative, easy to use, accessible, from ovulation prediction to at-home insemination kits. They're kind of revolutionizing the conception aid game with the at-home insemination kit, which is almost, you can think of it as like a modern, effective solution to the turkey baster. This is baby making simplified. Find Frida Fertility on Amazon, Target, and select CVS near you.